Hello, 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 and welcome back to Netflix Coffee and Questioning Humanity. I am in such a great mood today. I made my own coffee. I have my Dior face mask on. I smell like lavender vanilla and I strip my hair because my hair defines eras of my life because I have this weird narcissistic trait that convinces me that my life has enough relevancy to even have eras. My blue roots that I dubbed blutes because I'm clever and funny like that was a strange era. I felt the crisis within me. I was like, I need to go back to red hair. That's who I am. As always, we have quite a few things to talk about, including but not limited to the last two episodes of American Horror Story, clickbait, some streaming news, and a documentary on a subject you have probably seen a million times over. But this one was done so well and it stands out from all the rest and gives such a fresh perspective on a very well-known serial killer. That being said, let's roll the sirens and get into some coffee. Friendly reminder that this is an explicit podcast, which means I may discuss explicit content while most certainly using explicit language. So little ears, those easily offended, and my mom and dad may want to bow out. Now, on with the show. Today, I was really feeling the fall fantasy, but I wasn't really feeling leaving my house. So I played barista in my kitchen and made my own coffee, chai, drankity drank. It's delicious. I take freshly percolated coffee and freshly brewed chai tea, and I add my Fairlife lactose-free milk and a splash of my sweet Italian fake cream, and I whip that shit in my magic bullet blender, pour it out into my Toy Story mug and topped it off with real whipped cream, which perfectly represents the hypocritical relationship that I have with my lactose intolerance. I take lactate and say fuck it these days and it's been working great for me. I'm also eating Lebne, so I mean, really, you can't get any more dairy-licious than that. If you don't know, Lebne is like a, like a sour cream, but it's way tangier and it's way more fucking delicious. I eat it with pita bread vegetables by the dollop by itself. If you can find it, I highly recommend picking it up. But this coffee is fucking delicious. I want chocolate on top of it too, but I guess you can only be so gluttonous. Am I right? That's really all I have to say about my coffee. We are simple and sugary and basic today. So let's just get into American Horror Story episodes four and five. Warning, 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 more sirens, wee woo, wee woo. There will be spoilers for episodes four and five of American Horror Story double feature, Red Tide. I do have timestamps in the description of the pod if you want to see when and where to skip ahead if you do not want the latest episode or the previous episode spoiled for you. Starting with episode four titled Blood Buffet. I have the titles this time because I'm a professional. This was a throwback flashback episode, whatever you want to call it. We open with the chemist moving into her new home in P-Town a few years earlier than the other episodes. The man selling it to her who is Dennis O'Hare's character. I forget his name in this. I think it's like Holden or something. He's very concerned. He's like, okay, you're out here alone and you want good ventilation. Obviously you're cooking fucking meth. And the chemist is like, how rude. I am worth way more than meth money. Also random, but if I sound strange in any way, I had a root canal for the first time. It was split into two, well, three procedures technically. My third procedure is putting in a crown and I go back for that on Monday. I'm really big on my teeth. I have nice teeth 
and I like to keep them that way. But when I lived in Florida, the health insurance was shit and dental was practically non-existent and extremely expensive when I did have it done. Like the amount of money I dropped on just an extraction, let alone just upkeep, was insane. So I needed some TLC on my teeth when I moved back up here. There's nothing super serious going on, but I feel like if I don't manage them consistently, they will all run out of my face. It's this weird fear I have. But either way, root canals are probably the worst thing you could ever imagine. And I feel like I sound funny. And let me tell you, oh my God, I did something wicked fucking dumb before I went to the dentist for my first procedure. I had an edible about two hours before I went because I was in so much pain from not only my tooth, but a fun little ovarian cyst that occasionally causes my ovaries to literally fucking spin and contort. So I had lots of Tylenol and ibuprofen and the edible. Solid fucking plan, right? No. With this root canal procedure, for some reason, I'm at what felt to be a 90 degree angle. And at this angle, you see all the tools above your face that are going into your mouth. My dentist also has adorable ceiling images of cherry trees and other sort of stock photos that are well lit and trippy looking. So I'm at a fucking 90 degree angle and my dentist is an OG, by the way. She's amazing. And she's talking to me about all the typical shit I get asked when I say I lived behind Disney World and all that as she's prepping me, right? Catching me off guard, she knocks me with a needle of Novocaine and I'm like, whoo, you're good. You, you got me. You're good. And she laughs. She's like, I have been doing this for 20 years. I'm like, yeah, it fucking shows. The anticipation of needles is always the worst. So doctors and dentists seem to try and distract you or me anyway. I'm not really, you know, bothered by it. Needle pain doesn't bother me. I just can't look at it. I don't like watching the insertion of needles. Is that a word insertion? Yeah, it is. Some words just sound funny. So yeah, I'm at a 90 degree angle now tripping fucking balls. Half of my mouth is numbed up, but I feel all the pressure of this jackhammer situation happening in or on or around my tooth. Apparently the process of a root canal is like ripping out the nerve, sometimes multiple nerves, and cleaning out the tooth. I'm sure it's more complex than that, but that's the low fat version, right? I couldn't chew after this procedure. I was in an insane amount of pain for days, just absolutely miserable. As soon as the pain or soreness or whatever the fuck anyone wants to call it, whenever that was over, as soon as it subsided, I went back for procedure number two. And the dental assistant and the dentist are all like, yeah, 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 this part's a lot easier. And I had taken no drugs for procedure number two because I wanted to be smart about this. Dumb decision. That was my mistake. This was a few days ago, by the way. So I'm back at the 90 degree angle and the tools are just getting fucking crazier. The things that went into my mouth, bro, I, 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 I felt like I was a car. I felt like I was being operated on like I was a fucking car with these tools. At one point, they flush my mouth with some shit that tastes like a public pool. What the fuck is this? What the fuck? Whose tooth is this that you just fucking threw at me? This is your tooth. No, it's not. Is this real? How old were you? Don't know. Why? Who? What? Who kept your tooth? In a box. Bro. It was in a box with a trophy from a jogathon, and this tooth. I thank you. I have, I have my boyfriend's tooth in a box that he just threw at me, ironically, in the middle of my conversation about a root canal. 
This is fucking disgusting. What am I supposed to do with this? Keep it where? Anyway. <laughs> what the fuck? Anyway, um, they flush my mouth with some sort of fucking pool water, right? And the assistant is like, don't swallow. And I'm over here fucking gargling for my life as she's vacuuming it up. Once it's all out, my mouth is pride open, by the way. So I'm talking like an idiot. I can't really speak clearly, but I'm freaking out because I swallowed some of it. And I was like, oh, my God, I swallowed it. What, what do I do? And the dentist is like, baby, you're at the dentist. Everything is edible. You're OK. Duh, obviously. Right. I, like I, I couldn't quite process that in the moment, but obviously she told me not to swallow because it tastes nasty. Then I see, I don't know if this is before or after the pool water. I think it was before. I see a fucking blowtorch, dude, like a blowtorch. And then I hear, keep your mouth very wide. I'm avoiding a lot of 12 year old jokes, by the way. I have so many inappropriate jokes I want to make, but they just wouldn't be funny, really, because they'd just be one after the other. So blowtorch, right? And at this point, by the way, I'm feeling about 25% of everything that's happening and the pressure is unbearable. I had my wisdom teeth taken out without being put under either. I had just some shots in the mouth. I felt everything. And this was way worse. Way worse. By the end of the second procedure, I was basically running out of the office because I was on the verge of tears from how intense it was. I was bawling my eyes out in the car. I know it sounds really dramatic, but that shit was borderline traumatizing. Not even because they did a bad job. At least, I mean, I... I think they did a good job. I feel decent today. I still can't chew all that great, but it's kind of early to tell, I suppose. But nah, the dentist is just wild, man. I I I don't think that there's ever a procedure that wouldn't be traumatizing now that I think about it. I can't even enjoy the taste of bubblegum or the smell of bubblegum without thinking of that nasty fucking fluoride they used to make us wash our mouth with. But yeah, it's a bummer. I still can't really bite down on hard foods, which is fucking with my gluttony. I even went out of my way like three fucking towns over to get this cheese the most perfect cheese by the way I have been aching for it it's called Cypress Grove Midnight Moon Cheese I get mine at Wegmans if you have no idea what that is that's totally fine just go to the bougiest grocer around you that's basically what Wegmans is and they'll probably have this cheese it's a goat cheese and it's nutty and it's stinky and it's perfect But yeah, I can barely fucking eat it. I'm sitting here looking at like the littlest piece that I cut for myself and I just have to like suck on the cheese. Again, insert 12 year old joke. It's a tragedy, but back to the episode recap. I just that that spiraled out of control more than usual. The chemist starts cooking up her black pill meth like a regular Walt White or Heisman or no wait it's it's Heisenberg fucking Heisman that's the fucking college football. Shout out to Spencer Rattler by the way pretty sure he won that this year. Poor boy's head to the fucking Giants to let his talent rot just like Saquon Barkley. There I go again off the fucking rails. American Horror Story focus. It jumps to a scene with the chemist at the Muse restaurant bar with the Dennis O'Hare character. Again I think his name is Holden. I don't know. Mickey is of course trying to swoon some taint rubbing for meth money on Dennis O'Hare's character and is promptly rejected. The chemist decides to make a play at Mickey but only asking him to be her guinea pig for the little black pill. He refuses but she offers to pay him for any person he brings to her to be a guinea pig. We learned that the chemist worked with the military to learn about the creative part of the brain so she can shut it down in soldiers. But in order to do that, she had to learn how to unlock it. Mickey ends up bringing a mediocre lounge singer to the chemist. And we already know what's going to happen with 
that. He takes a black pill. He is the first to do so that we see in P-Town. And then we switch to Belle Noir before her black pill days, which were surprisingly only two years prior. She's doing this like quiet, lame reading for her erotica novel called Martha's Fucking Cherry Tree. Not fucking, just Martha's Cherry Tree, which is a racy retelling of George and Martha Washington. Let me invite you in on a secret you may not be aware of. These stories are very real and very popular and make people a lot of fucking money. I have a lot of acquaintances and friendly relations in the writing world that I've made over the years and a handful of them are in this erotica game successfully. That's what I'll say. We also meet Belle's cunt of a husband. I don't know about anyone else, but I was hoping Belle would pull a Lorena fucking bobbit on this man. And if you don't know that reference, we will get to that a bit later. Hang on. Do be patient. Let me just say, if a man ever took a breath in my direction with that kind of attitude, his teeth would be fucking grinding curb. Absolutely never. Belle goes off to the muse alone because her husband wants to go to the haunted dune tours without her. He thinks she's boring and he says that going to the muse to watch the sunset is quote homo shit, unquote. While Belle's at the muse, who else besides Mickey would become her emotional companion? Belle begins to share her love of writing and how she absolutely needs to do it. It's in her bones. I can relate, Belle. It's always cool to hear someone who is not yourself express thoughts you can perfectly relate to. It's very comforting, even if it's fictional. In a surprising turn of events, Belle decides to do some meth with Mickey and parties all night. Meanwhile, the lounge singer is slowly but surely degrading into a vampire creature. Mickey brings Belle to the chemist who likes her writing so much she had to hold herself back from rubbing one out to a threesome between Martha George and Ben Franklin. Belle is convinced that she is talented and decides to take the little black pill and find her destiny. Of course she's talented and she stays up all night writing a whole book. When morning finally comes, her husband strolls in from being out all night and he said, you couldn't have written this book, it's actually good. Prick. Then, when she asks him where the fuck he's been, he says, with a sting like a fucking hornet, that he got drunk and met a woman who doesn't dress like a school teacher and fucked her right there in the sand until they passed out. Then they woke up and fucked again. And now he's gonna pack his shit, take a shower, and fuck her again because this marriage is over. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Belle, understandably, takes a glass vase or something glass and um, breaks it and uses the glass to slash her bitch-ass husband's throat and drink his blood. A bit of an easy let off for the husband, if you ask me. She reports all this to the chemist who is fascinated but not alarmed in any way. It just seems like a chill conversation between the two. The chemist says it's not surprising because the same effect happened on apes. So she anticipated this to some degree. Belle also says after she drank his blood, she sat down and wrote some more and didn't even care about her husband. The chemist says you have to get rid of the body, and so she did. Seemingly, Belle just cut up his body and threw it in the ocean because in the next scene, we see some of his body parts, like his feet, washed ashore. So Belle's doing great now. No husband, doing great writing. The lounge singer, not doing so well. When he reports to the chemist, he says he needs more pills. She denies him because he's a part of a study now, and that study requires five days with just one pill. Due to his withdrawals, he gets cold and shops for a very Nosferatu meets Michael Jackson's thriller meets Joan Collins in Dynasty Jacket. 
the shoulder pads rival anything in the NFL. While sporting this fashion, he fucking gnaws on an innocent woman praying in a graveyard who offers to pray with him because he doesn't look so good. But then she was really praying with an E. Get it? (laughs) I'm so funny. Anyways, he freaks out and goes back to the chemist being like, what the fuck is happening? I'm a pacifist. I don't hurt people. She basically says, nah, not anymore. Your bloodthirst comes from hating everyone because you realize that you are truly untalented. Then she explains that the bloodthirst and the talented folk comes because they think they're better than everyone else. Afterwards, we get my favorite scene. Once again, everything I never knew I needed. Evan Peters dressed as a beautiful woman doing drag. Truly my dream come true. I could have fucking punched the other drag queens in the face who are mean to him. So rude. Thank God for the ending. Belle learns Austin is a playwright and gives him the little black pill. She says she recognizes talent. Obviously, Austin is a creative genius. We've seen this in previous episodes. And the two decide to kill two birds with one stone. Feed while getting revenge on the meanie drag queens. The two storm into the house that the queens are watching RuPaul's Drag Race in. And they kill most of them. One queen gets away but is taken care of by a vampire thingamabob. And that ends episode four, was it? That was episode four? Yeah. Now we're going to get into episode five, which is the penultimate. And this is the one that just premiered recently. So you may not have seen seen this yet. So again, timestamps below if you want to skip ahead. This episode starts with Doris in labor. The blood that obviously happens during labor gets Henry or Harry. What is his fucking name? Is it Henry or Harry? One of the names. Harry, I think. Now I got to look it up because I sound stupid. I hate when I go on IMDb and it's like, oh, Finn Wittrock was an American Horror Story and these are the characters he played. And it's like 50 fucking names. It's like, yeah, no shit. Can we split this up? What is his name? What is his name? Harry. It's Harry. Harry Potter. Okay. So the blood gets Harry all hot and bothered and he's really, really holding back licking some of his wife's birthing blood. I thought that this was him having a nightmare. Uh, no. He took the soiled linen and milked the rags into some of those little Dixie cups and shotgunned that shit in the hospital bathroom like a real OG. Terrifying. Disgusting. But amazing all at the same time. Doris has this montage of events while she's sleeping that seemingly was connecting things, but we never really got clarification on that in the moment. But when Doris comes home with the baby, Alma is now feeling that rumbling in her tummy for the fresh baby. One thing I caught on to that could just be nothing was a mirror shot of Harry. And I wondered, did Gaga see herself in mirrors? Like, isn't that like a vampire thing? If you can see yourself in a mirror, you're not actually a vampire. Because we saw Harry's reflection. Just something small that could mean absolutely nothing. The next scene is Mickey balling out in some Louis Hamlin looking ride. And his outfit looks like he's a pimp from 1973. And speaking of Hamlin, I don't quite understand the appeal to watching racing. Cars going vroom vroom in circles. Like, I don't, I don't quite get it. And racing fans are the first to bitch about how boring baseball is. Like, sir, I do not want to hear it, honestly. On a sadder kind of dark path, I watched one race one time with my brother-in-law, like just to see what it was about. And in that race, not long after I started watching it with him, there was a massive fucking crash. And if I'm not mistaken, the driver passed away. And I remember asking him, like, is this a normal? 
normal thing in races? I, does this happen a lot? And he was all tripped up. He was like, no, 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 no. This, this is not normal. This is wild. So that's my one take on race car driving. But it was a cool car Mickey had. He offers Karen to work with him in his new speed racer billion dollar empire universe he has going for him because he took the little black pill. Karen says, hell nah, because she has her moral compass taken care of. Next, we see Alma caught in the bathroom, sucking on the newborn baby's legs in a truly intense scene, and Doris catches her and faints. The image of that, like this child eating a baby's leg, was very, very troubling. Harry obviously confronts Alma after Doris is put in bed, and she was like, chill, dad. It was a sip of baby's blood to play some weird Russian music on my viola. And Harry's like, nah, you need to fucking chill out, Chucky Cullen, and stop sucking your baby brother's blood because your mom saw you. Ursula's in the house and she's comforting Doris or is, you know, trying to seem that way because she's trying to cover for the little black pill users. She's trying to make it seem that Alma eating the baby like a rotisserie chicken was just a crazy dream Doris had. And she's being a bit cunty as well. She's telling Doris that she needs to drop some baby weight and be a doting passive Hollywood wife. Not cool, Ursula. After a little while, uh, Doris sees the bite marks on her baby's leg after kind of letting it go and maybe believing it was a dream. So she's fully aware. And at this time, Alma brings her in some pills. Doris notices the little black one and freaks out. She's like, what is this? And she assumes Alma is trying to poison her and showed Harry the bite marks. Doris has had enough and Alma is like, no, 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 let her take the pill so she can be one of us, knowing full well that her mom ain't shit. She knows what her mom will turn into. Doris says, fuck you to all of them, dips out with her baby, but is stopped quite quickly by the vampires who all weirdly have the same taste in coats. Just like that OG vampire who wanted the 80s shoulder pad jacket in the previous episode. They all look like they could be an extra in Desperately Seeking Susan. After Doris is being circled by the vampires, Harry says, come with me. They can't hurt you while I'm with you. Let me just explain everything. Come home. So Doris does just that. Meanwhile, Karen's chilling on the beach painting when Belle Noir approaches her with an offer to collect the gardener's baby. Remember, Belle Noir likes babies and Karen likes the money that she's given when she brings her babies. Apparently, baby's blood is like a slice of Wagyu beef for these people. Speaking of baby gardener, once Doris is back at the house, she has some scissors that she plans to use to protect herself and baby and decides she's gonna go downstairs into the belly of the beast with those scissors and hears her designs being roasted by Dennis O'Hare's character again. I would imagine that this sort of stays in the back of her brain based on what we see later, but I'm sure it wasn't a pleasant thing to hear how horrible your designs are. Jumping back to Karen, she confronts Mickey about what Belle wants because he obviously ratted out our location to Belle Noir. Her morality isn't quite clicking with Mickey's. He's like, I don't understand the big deal. Just take the little black pill. You'll be fine. You're an artist. You'll do great. She has zero interest in the pill and she decides she is going to save baby gardener herself and raise it on her own. 
Back at the gardeners, Alma tries again to get her mom to take the little black pill and Doris finally does it. Mind you, her dad and Ursula do not know that Doris took this pill. So when Ursula, Harry, and Alma go out, Karen and Mickey show up to save the baby. But when Karen sees Doris turning into a monster, she runs for the hills. At that point, she's also stopped by vampires and Mickey decides that he isn't gonna stick around and save her. And the only thing that will is if she swallows the little black pill because that will immediately turn the vampires off from the swallower's blood, if that makes sense. Doris is now blood hungry and a creature and doesn't care about her newborn baby anymore. And as she's going to kill the baby, Harry saves it. It's too late for Doris though. She is tweaking hard off that vampire shit. So he locks her in a back room until he figures out what to do with her. As she's in the room, he starts confessing some asshole shit that his career and his greatness come before family and that he's outgrown Doris. And maybe this type of breakup is the best way to go and would be less painful for Doris. Imagine that. Then the dream team of Harry, Ursula, and Alma let Doris loose on P-Town like a bird in the wind. Mickey and Karen are now at the beach. Karen has swallowed the little black pill and is obviously a creative genius. We knew this from her painting skill. He tells her that she has to go feed if she wants some major inspiration and they happen to see fresh prey right there in front of them. Instead of feeding on the human, she decides she's just gonna feed on Mickey, which is weird because I thought they didn't feed on other black pill creative people, but she wanted to be rid of him and she wanted the world rid of him. And in an ending that couldn't have been more poetic for Karen, knowing the monster she has become and not wanting it to consume her, she takes her own life in the ocean. The episode closes with Alma and Ursula strolling to the chemist's house and on their way, they see Mommy Dearest in the cemetery eating a small animal and neither are affected by this terrifying image. Not even little Chucky Cullen. I enjoyed parts of the flashback episode. I didn't feel it was entirely necessary to take that much of the past and waste an episode with it, but I get why it was done. I like that we saw Belle Noir's history. I obviously liked Evan Peters and drag, but the fifth episode I enjoyed very much. I'm so excited to see what the fuck is gonna happen in the finale and how it's gonna tie to Death Valley. Moving on, remember when I mentioned Lorena Bobbitt earlier when I said I hope Belle Noir, Lorena Bobbitt's her husband? Well, I watched a documentary about Lorena Bobbitt because Jordan Peele produced it and you know I love my Jordan Peele shit. If you don't know the story, I'm gonna slide you the skim milk version, but I highly recommend you watch the docu-series in full. There is a lot of nuance and they did it so well. In the early hours of June 23rd, 1993, Lorena Bobbitt took an eight inch knife from her apartment's kitchen and cut off the penis of her husband, John Wayne Bobbitt. She then drove away from their apartment and threw the severed organ into a field in Manassas, Virginia. Amazing, right? Like just fucking captivating. I was simply, a fresh fertilized egg. My mom probably didn't even know I existed yet when this all happened. If you're curious, I did look up nine months prior to my due date to see where I was cooking at this time. Fun fact, my due date was actually March 1st and my ass didn't show up to this dumpster fire until March 21st. I was perfectly content in my primordial pool that was the womb. I was turning sideways in my mama's belly and my mama is a petite woman. She couldn't handle my long ass limbs playing games inside of her. She 
told me that her water broke and her doctor said, oh no, the baby's fine because there's plenty of fluid in there. Not realizing that the fluid was like a fucking cyst or something dumb like that, which this explains a lot, right? Anywho, I was merely a compound of sperm and egg when Lorena Bobbitt sliced off John Wayne's penis is what I'm trying to say. What I loved about this series, not to give too much away because I want you to watch it. It's on Amazon Prime and it gives you all sides, all sides. In episode two, you think that you know what's going down, especially if you are completely unfamiliar with the case like I was. I knew of it in pop culture, like I had an idea of like what happened, but I didn't know the details that surrounded it. It really showed how the media portrayed Lorena. The other thing that I found awesome was showing the years following, which obviously in 1993, you can't predict the future. And let me tell you, the pattern of behavior over the last 27 plus years has shown a lot. Some really greasy behavior from one of the two parties, a consistent pattern of behavior. Small spoiler, but don't ever trust anyone named John fucking Wayne. And don't even come at me with that Western actor fuckhead. Fuck him. Let me get his exact words on this. Quote, I believe in white supremacy until the blacks are educated to a point of responsibility, John Wayne said. I don't believe in giving authority and positions of leadership and judgment to irresponsible people. That's what your favorite Western actor said about black people. So fuck that John Wayne too. Have several seats, old man. I don't give a fuck about this was a different time bullshit. Huh? That was 1971, you fucking idiot. That's when our parents were born. He's your grandparents' age, and you'd slap grandpa if he said that shit. Shut the fuck up about it was a different time. I don't want to hear that shit anymore. John Wayne, actor, western man, racist. John Wayne Gacy, hello, clown fucking serial killer. And John Wayne, have a few beers and I like to beat on women, pussy-ass bobbit. Punk-ass bitches, every single John Wayne. Moving on to not a punk-ass bitch, Whoopi Goldberg, of all people, really had a solid take on this shit in 1994 bro she was ahead of her time pussy ass weak beta men hear this shit even today and roll their eyes knowing what Lorena went through and say she's a crazy bitch even knowing what she went through even knowing also shout out to my male listeners I see my demographics I know my audience is something like fucking 60% millennial males from all around the world and I thank you thank you for being alphas please know I use those terms ironically. I am not Joe fucking Rogan. I am the antithesis of Mr. Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan and his entire spirit makes me fucking clutch my black tourmaline and burn sage. I don't want him anywhere near my spirit. Anyways, let's listen to Queen Whoopi Goldberg's take on the whole Bobbit situation. I was so glad to see that someone finally evened up the odds. You know what I mean? It's like, Motherfuckers are panicking across the country. Men don't know what to do. They're dicks. Do you realize what a cachet this is to discover? You see, women live with the, the, the knowledge that weird shit could happen at any point. You go down a dark alley and whoosh, somebody grabs you. And now, men actually have to think about this shit. You know, because you talk to a guy, you know? Come on, man. Yeah. It's 1994, and the shit is hitting the fan. Women are pissed. That's why they're going, yay! 
Yes, you get it now, you do. But see, I think that this poor woman should not be going through the changes she's going through simply because she could have been a bitch about this. You realize what I'm saying? Nobody has mentioned this. She should get some time off. She should. Because she told them where the dick was. <laughs> See? I would not have told them. That's right. Uh-uh. Find it, motherfucker. Switching gears, I didn't even mean to watch this next documentary. It autoplayed after Lorena. And I was like, huh, I could always go for more true crime documentaries. And it's called Ted Bundy Falling for a Killer. It's also on Amazon Prime. I felt like I already knew this story pretty well, but man, oh man, this was another docuseries done so fucking well in a totally different way. It tells the story of Bundy's ex-girlfriend, Elizabeth Kendall, and her daughter, Molly from their first meeting in 1969 to the execution of Bundy and up to the present day. It was from a totally different perspective, the female perspective, and it flashes between what was happening with the murders and how the women's movement was on an upswing. All of this happening at the same time. Not only did that give it this fresh perspective, but it also really did shed light on how this man's actions affected so many people. The people being interviewed in this documentary were just saturated with guilt. All of them. There was one scene that really stuck out to me when a woman that I believe was a co-worker was talking with another co-worker about the murders when some details were released. Mind you, at the time, they didn't know that their co-worker was a psychopath. The detail that came out was that the murderer's name may have been Ted. And the two co-workers were like, wow, that's so weird. Ted really isn't a West Coast name. That's very unusual out here. We only know one Ted between the two of us and that's Ted Bundy, huh? And they never thought anything of it. It never crossed their minds. The longtime girlfriend of Ted Bundy, Elizabeth, even saw his face in an illustration and saw, like she saw it was Ted, but she still couldn't wrap her brain around it. This man that she thought she knew was an entire fucking fraud in the most severe possible way. I can't imagine the trauma that that had on her and her daughter. Everything she thought she knew was a lie. Looking back on the videos of him, he's just like such a fucking charming asshole. He really seems like the kind of guy that will make his lady a playlist full of love songs that he sings to someone else, you know? Like how sweet of you to have these on rotation for every broad in your lineup, Teddy. He also seems like the type to leave the fucking toast crumbs in the butter, fucker. Not to sidetrack because this is somehow related in a way. I'm gonna connect it so I don't seem like I'm going off the rails too much. But some of the murders that Ted Bundy did took place in Utah, right? And I just learned about all the shit that's going down in Moab, Utah, which if you don't know, I will fill you in just in case you're not on true crime TikTok. True crime TikTok. That's hard to say even without a fucked up back tooth. There's a young girl who's 22 years old, right? Her name is Gabby Petito, I believe. And she went missing and has been missing since late August while on a van trip with her boyfriend. I forget the boyfriend's name. You can look it up everywhere. It's everywhere. All over the news, just Google Moab, Utah or Gabby Petito and it'll all pop up. The van that her and her boyfriend were traveling in was found at the boyfriend's parents' home in Florida. The girlfriend wasn't with him. 
Now back to when the couple was in Utah, there were police reports of what someone saw happening saying the couple was being physically aggressive on both sides. This all happened outside of a store called Moonflower. And here's the thing, there was another couple that was murdered by gunshots in Moab, Utah. And one of the females worked at the Moonflower store. What the fuck is up in Moab, bro? All this is in Utah? Utah, the Mormon capital and MLM capital of the world. I mean, the population of Moab is a little over 5,000. It's a fucking canyon town. Nothing is happening in Moab. This shit is weird. Even the FBI is involved. Insane. As for the second couple that was murdered, their names were Kylan and Crystal. And apparently investigators were informed that Kylan had mentioned to her friends that if something happened to them, they were murdered. Apparently there was like a creepy man following them around camp and the two women had been intimidated by him. I am probably an outlier in saying I don't believe the two are connected, but goddamn true crime tickety talk is wild. I think it's like a crazy coincidence, but you know, what do I know? Just a little sidetrack. Anyways, Ted Bundy falling for a killer, 10 out of 10. I highly recommend it on Amazon Prime. Okay, so I watched Clickbait. I see it's super popular on Netflix. I see people talking about it. I see some hype for it. So I said, all right, let's throw it on. It's a limited series. I went into this having no idea what it's about. If I had an inkling or knowledge before, I forgot. If I mentioned the synopsis like a week or two ago, it went in one ear and out the other. Horrendous memory or amazing foreshadowing? I'll let you be the judge after I'm done talking. This show was quite boring and weird and I didn't get it. Uh, Pia, the main character, had a rough night. She fights with her brother, goes out and gets drunk, eats some of her roommate's food, rubs one out, watches cat videos, and wakes up, goes to work, and sees her brother online in a video. He's holding a sign that says, I abuse women and at five million I die, or something like that. At five million views, he's supposed dies. The girl Pia, whose hair is more interesting than the entire series, it's giving Sia in the short blonde shaggy bob moment, you know? Ooh, and speaking of short blonde bob, Haley Seinfeld was so Irving at the Met this year. Her and Maluma, in my opinion, the best dressed, easily. Let me talk about the Met for a second because way more interesting than this fucking show. Only for a second, I promise. Rihanna shocked me, shocked me. She's the it girl. Every year at the Met, she just kills it. And this year, she looked like a fucking air mattress that's half deflated, not a fan. And her boyfriend looked like a bowl of Captain fucking Crunch. I love ASAP Rocky, I do. He looked good when he took off the coat thing, but before that, a bowl of Captain Crunch. Kim was just, you know, I can't. I can't. One of my friends posted online a meme that says, if you want to feel less useless, someone did Kim's makeup for the Met. And if for some reason you don't know what she looked like, she wore a fucking pair of black tights on her head. Obviously a nod to her husband, but it just doesn't work for her. Like, Kim, no. Kanye, I get it. I get it with Kanye. With Kim at the Met, I just, I don't know. Seems weird to me. Lil Nas X was campy and gaudy, as he and the Met Gala are supposed to be. J-Lo looked like a mom trying to wear a hot cowboy Halloween outfit. And I mean, she looks hot in anything, so she pulled it off. Lupita gave American denim. Blue jean, baby. L.A. lady. 
realness. Oh my God, Tiny Dancer makes me cry. One of my favorite songs of all time. Meh, I love that song. Lord was serving tacky grandma tablecloth with a tacky grandma centerpiece on her head. Cara Delevingne wore a top that said, peg the patriarchy and you will not find a bigger fan of that entire idea, my friend. I love every bit of that statement. Kim Petrus wore a literal horse and Frank Ocean was literally carrying a green baby doll and that's that. Back to clickbait. Pia, Gabby, Hannah lookalike with the Sia Bob is on a mission to figure out where her brother is before the video hits 5 million views. I knew about five minutes in I wasn't watching episode two, but I wanted to at least stick it out for episode one. She gets her computer with client friend, this kid that she draws blood from at work to go all don't fuck with cats detective style about her brother's potential location and the police are now involved and it's all serious. It's all over the news. Watching this was a chore. I found it so boring, even though the acting was fine. It was fine. I found the main character wicked fucking irritating even though she was a fine actress there was nothing really wrong it was just the energy I felt zero connection uh with any of them the only cool thing that didn't even really manifest itself in episode one was while Pia Hannah was clubbing she was also tindering like the youth does and matched with a fella named Woody who happens to be the detective on the case for her brother but Pia doesn't remember because she was tipsy but Woody remembers so that That was kind of cool, but not cool enough to keep me watching. There was a montage at the end when the video was like teetering on 5 million views. That was such an eye and ear sore, just a complete sensory sore. The show seems to have everything that would make an intense, action-filled, exciting situation. But instead it was shit and Anne with an e-boring and that's that on clickbait. And now on to a little tiny bit of streaming news starting with Netflix. Netflix has given an eight episode series order to Grendel, a series based on the masked vigilante from Matt Wagner's popular award-winning dark horse comic book series with Abubakar Ali set to star in the titular role. With Ali's casting, he becomes the first Arab Muslim male actor to portray a series lead in a comic book adaptation. The series Written and executive produced by Resident Evil and Supernatural alumni Andrew Dabb comes out of Netflix's first look deal with Dark Horse Entertainment. Grendel, which sees Dabb also serve as showrunner, follows Hunter Rose, who's played by Ali, a gifted fencer, writer, and assassin seeking to avenge the death of a lost love. He goes to war with New York's criminal underground only to realize why beat them when you can join them. Dark Horse Entertainment and Netflix previously collaborated on the Umbrella Academy, Jonas Ackerlin's Polar and currently in production on the animated series Samurai Rabbit, the Usagi Chronicles. Very troubling news from the set of Me Time, the upcoming comedy starring Mark Wahlberg and Kevin Hart. An unidentified male was injured on a soundstage. Los Angeles Fire Department spokesperson Brian Humphrey tells People Magazine the LAPD received several 911 calls as early as 7.04 a.m. on Tuesday reporting an incident involving a 38-year-old male who had fallen an estimated 60 to 80 feet while on a soundstage at Sunset Gower Studios in Los Angeles. Humphrey says the man was pulseless and not breathing when the EMTs arrived at the scene. He added the man had suffered massive trauma, including fractured legs and arms, and was hemorrhaging while being treated by medics and EMTs. 
medics were amazingly able to restore his heartbeat, restore his breathing, and able to restore his pulse. Humphrey said adding the man was rushed to a regional trauma center. He has a fighting chance of survival. A Netflix spokesperson did not immediately comment. Obviously, there's massive trauma there, but I am glad he is alive and well at this current moment. Switching gears into Hulu news, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez are set to continue their podcast-inspired crime-solving ways after Hulu renewed Only Murders in the Building for a second season. It comes after the streamer said that the show was the most-watched Hulu original comedy on premiere day and is the most-watched comedy across all SVOD titles ever on the platform. So congrats to the entire Only Murders in the Building team. I'm excited to see where the show goes. Tommy Lee revealed he spoke with Sebastian Stan about Hulu's controversial Pam and Tommy series, which if you didn't know, Hulu is set to dive into one of the most iconic and scandalous celebrity couples of the modern era with the new limited series titled Pam and Tommy. Starring Lily James as actress Pamela Anderson and Sebastian Stan as drummer Tommy Lee, the project directed by I, Tanya's Craig Gillespie follows the duo's whirlwind relationship and the bombshell leak of their honeymoon sex tape. Tommy Lee says he is excited to see the project based on his life. Quote, I know Sebastian, he's playing me, Tommy Lee told Entertainment Tonight on Sunday, September 12th at the 38th annual MTV Music Awards in New York City. From what he's told me, it's a really beautiful story. I think a lot of people would think it's about one thing, but it's really about privacy and how things got crazy then. There's different laws now. The limited series is produced by Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, and Dave Franco. Prior to the upcoming miniseries, the musician watched Machine Gun Kelly play him through the early years of his career in 2019's The Dirt, and he admitted that he's surprised his life is being adapted again. Not everyone has approved of the Pam and Tommy series, though. Uh, Pam Anderson hasn't publicly spoken about the series, but her friend Courtney Love slammed the adaptation. Courtney Love is quoted to say this, my heart goes out to Pammy, and she added that the series was further causing her complex trauma. I can only imagine, like, how intrusive could you possibly be? That is terrifying. The whole world has seen your sex tape with the love of your life. When you don't intend for it to be that way, that can be very, very traumatizing. Pam and Tommy began filming in April 2021. We don't know when it will premiere on Hulu uh, because it's, you know, US only, but we know that it'll be coming to the UK sometime in 2021 via Star and it will be on Disney+. Plus. How fucking bizarre. Pam Anderson and Tommy Lee miniseries on Disney Plus. That's iconic. Hulu has announced that it will be raising its subscription prices on Friday, October 8th. Costs for the ad-supported plan will increase from $5.99 to $6.99 per month, the ad-free plan from $11.99 to $12.99 per month, and the yearly ad-supported plan from $59.99 to $69.99 per year. What they really want is for you to do the Disney Plus bundle. They don't want you to just have Hulu alone. I believe Disney now owns, if not all the shares of Hulu, a good portion of them. They want you to be invested in Disney Plus as well, not just Hulu. The Disney Plus bundle includes the ad-supported Hulu for $13.99. And then with the no ads plan, the Disney bundle is $19.99. So they really want you to watch Disney Plus. HBO Max news. On Tuesday, September 14th, HBO Max announced that Lena Dunham's produced series Generations will not return for a second season. 
For those of you who missed the short-lived show, it followed a group of high school students as they navigate love, sex, and identity in the age of social media. HBO Max had this to say, we are very proud to have partnered with the creators, Zelda and Daniel Barnes, to faithfully and authentically represent LGBTQ youth with such a diverse group of characters and layered stories. We thank them and our wonderfully gifted cast for all their hard work and collaboration. During its brief tenure, Generations face controversy and frequent comparisons to HBO's other teen series, Euphoria. One controversy involved actors dissecting cat corpses for a biology class scene. This prompted two extras to walk off set. Generation depicts the unfiltered experiences of high school students and is drawn from many formative moments in the lives of the show's writers. Apparently, HBO retooled the cat dissection scenes and you can't see them anymore on the show. I don't know what happened with that, but I don't know. I wasn't vibing with this show. I think it's unfair to compare it to Euphoria. That show is art and is truly very different. It's it's not the same show. And Euphoria is not meant for teenagers. It's meant for adults. Let me just say that. I know teenagers watch it and they love the makeup and oh my God, and you're my soulmate, bitch. Like I know they're into all that, but it's not for you. They're gonna watch it anyway, but whatever. The Sopranos creator is extremely angry that his prequel movie, Many Saints of Newark, is premiering on HBO Max the same day it's in theaters. Quote, it was designed to be a movie, Chase said. He never thought HBO would be the first place people would see his Sopranos prequel. People should see it in a theater, he told Deadline. It was designed to be a movie. 14 years after HBO aired the polarizing finale of the show that looked inside the life of Tony Soprano, played by James Gandolfini, and his mafia empire, Chase, who is the co-screenwriter and one of the producers of the movie, admits he never imagined the cable channel would be where people would watch the prequel for the first time. Quote, if one of those executives was sitting here and I was to start pissing and moaning about it, they'd say, you know, there's 17 other movies that have the same problem. What could we do? COVID. Well, I know, but those 16 other movies didn't start out as a television show. They don't have to shed that television image before you get people to the theater, but we do. And that's where we're at. People should go see it in a theater. It was designed to be a movie. It's beautiful as a movie. I never thought it would be back on HBO. Never. The Many Saints of Newark follows Tony Soprano, played by Gandolfini's son Michael, as a young teen growing up in Newark, New Jersey, as he observes the bloody war among mafia families going on in the city around him. It will be in theaters and available on HBO Max on October 1st. This is kind of a mix of HBO and Amazon Prime news. There will be no more HBO on Amazon Prime. The move is a part of Warner Media's plan to shift subscribers over to HBO Max. HBO's subscriber numbers will take a significant hit after it disappears from Amazon Prime Video. Earlier this month, Amazon told users who signed up for HBO through them that their $15 a month plans would be canceled on September 15th with no prorated refunds being issued. HBO may offer its former Amazon subscribers a discount to persuade them to sign up for HBO Max, but that is unknown at this moment. Basically, this is just Warner Media cutting out the middleman and directly connecting with their audience through HBO Max. If they lose some subscribers in the process, so be it. They know that those subscribers will come back because they have these incredible releases, theatrical releases being released on HBO Max. So I don't think they are too worried about that. HBO Max is also one of the best streaming services to have. They just have so much. Their library is immense. 
On to Disney Plus news, I am so happy about this one. 20 years after the show first aired, The Proud Family is making a comeback with a packed lineup of guest stars. In honor of the original series anniversary, Disney Plus has announced the slate of appearances in the reboot Proud Family, Louder and Prouder. The voice cast is set to feature figures from across fields of music, film, television, sports, and more, such as Lizzo, Lil Nas X, Chance the Rapper, Normani, Leslie Odom Jr., Tiffany Hatt, Lena Waithe, Anthony Anderson, Gabrielle Union, Al Roker, Gabby Douglas, Jane Lynch, Brenda Song, Lori Hernandez, Bretman Rock, and many, many, many more. A lot of them have actually already been on The Proud Family. I know Anthony Anderson and I believe Al Roker have done many features on The Proud Family, the original. Original series lead Kyla Pratt is set to reprise her role as Penny, along with other recurring cast members, Kiki Palmer, Asante Black, rapper A Boogie, Raquel Lee Bolu, and Marcus T. Polk. Set a few years after the original series, the reboot will follow the adventures of Penny, a few years older now, her friends, and her larger-than-life family. Palmer, who plays a teen activist in the upcoming show, said of Louder and Prouder that even though it was on a kids' network, it still had the right amount of edge for it to be accessible to everyone. Everybody. The Proud Family Louder and Prouder is set to premiere sometime in 2022 with all of the seasons of the original Proud Family currently available to stream on Disney+. The obvious big news from Disney is the Hawkeye trailer that was released, and it stars Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld in the latest piece of the Marvel Cinematic Universe to get the TV series treatment. In the trailer, Clint Barton, aka Hawkeye, passes down the bow and arrow to fellow Marvel Comics character Kate Bishop, played by Haley Steinfeld. Set during the Christmas season, Clint investigates someone posing as his deadly Ronin persona from Avengers Endgame, only to discover it's Kate a fellow archer and fan. The two team up to take down criminals as Hawkeye promises his family he'll be back for Christmas. Hawkeye will be premiering November 24th on Disney+. Just a little bit of news from AMC Plus here. Kira Knightley's movie Silent Night has been acquired by the streamer. The holiday comedic drama will be given a day and date release. It will be in theaters and exclusively on AMC Plus this December in the US and Canada. The synopsis is as follows. Silent Night follows a group of old friends who, in true British fashion, and while the rest of the world faces impending doom, reunite to celebrate Christmas in the comfort of an idyllic country home. Burdened with the inconvenience of mankind's imminent destruction, they adopt a stiff upper lip, crack open another bottle of Prosecco, and continue their festivities. But no amount of stoicism can replace the courage needed for their last night on Earth. It seems like AMC is really trying to get its hands on some more niche and exclusive content, so I'm excited to see what else they pick up. And finally, we have a teensy little bit of news from Apple TV. T-Mobile is giving customers a free year of Apple TV Plus for both new and existing customers on Magenta and Magenta Max plans. So if you are on that plan and have T-Mobile, be sure to take advantage of that so you can experience the awesome content they have going on. I don't know if it's worth it to pay for Apple TV at this point. I have it free for like another fucking, I don't know, year and a half, I think. I always just find extensions and deals. I don't find 
their library to be vast enough to compete with a Hulu or a Netflix. It's just not there yet. I feel like AMC is being really smart with the inclusion of Shudder, for example, to give them a bigger library and also finding where other streaming platforms lack. I mean, in the horror genre, the streaming platforms that we're used to have the same old blockbuster movies over and over again and inconsistently at best. They are constantly moving from HBO to Netflix and back again. I think Apple TV will get there and will be a great competitor in time, but for now, just get it for free. Find the deals. Thank you again for tuning in. Today I want to spotlight hotline.org, which is one of the most incredibly useful resources for anyone suffering from domestic abuse. As soon as you open the webpage, it prompts you to learn how to hide your search history because abusers like to monitor their victims. They have a live chat, a phone number that you can call 24-7-365, and even offer a texting option. They let you know exactly what to expect when you contact them so you are not caught off guard, and that can relieve so much anxiety to someone who's already suffering such a great deal. They have options to get help, identify abuse, find a plan for safety, and also help guide you if you want to support others. If you'd like to follow the pod on Instagram, it's NCQH Podcast. My personal Instagram is L-E-A-A underscore M-A-R-Z. And if you didn't know, I'm a writer. I have a book of art and poetry titled Myocardium that shows a very different side of myself if you'd like to check that out. It is available on Amazon and the link to that is in my personal Instagram bio. It comes in two formats, one form being a high quality paperback with premium ink to really let the art shine for $18.99. And I understand that with shipping, that can be a bit of coin. So I also have the mobile version available too with just poetry for only $2.99. It's available through the Kindle app, which is free on all devices that download said app and it's completely free for Kindle Unlimited customers. Thank you again and until next time, stay caffeinated, stay streaming, stay strong. (laughs) 